Peter Boland's back on the show today. Uh, this time he is here to talk about his new book called The Seven Stone Path, An Everyday Journey to Wisdom. One of the things I love most about this book is that it, it brings together concepts and, uh, and understandings from different approaches in life, whether religion, spiritual, stoic, all these different ways. It brings it together into familiarized concepts so that you can really see how a lot of these, well, pretty much every religion, spiritual practice, whatever it is, is really saying the same thing. It's just presenting it to you in different ways. So that's what I, the things I love about this book the most is that it brings that information to you. It gives you the opportunity to see the crossover, leaving still opportunities for you to interpret this information. So uh, we get to a little point where we, uh, as we're going through the book and the workbook, we talk about how artificial intelligence might be working its way into philosophy and spiritual practices and the correlation between the two. Um, but overall, this is just a really beautiful conversation about life and about how we can approach life and how we can support ourselves and each other through life. Really hope you get something out of the conversation. We'll see you on the other side. All right, welcome back to our show. Uh, I'm very excited to have uh, Peter Bolin back. Uh, so if you've been following the show, Peter's been on a couple times. Uh, Peter has most recently written a book that is uh, touched me in a very deep way. Um, it's amazing. It's called The Seven Stone Path, uh, An Everyday Journey to Wisdom. And, you know, we've... Uh, when I started listening to Peter on, on YouTube and ingesting his information, uh, knew that the man knew what he was talking about. He's a professor in college, you know, just amazing stuff. And the more I started to talk to you and actually get to interview you, um, you know, just, uh, just there's certain people, you know, one of our podcast episodes is titled when the, the, the students ready, the teacher appears. And, and you were that person for me, whether you knew it or not. And you're probably that person for a lot of people on YouTube, whether you know it or not, right? It's like, we don't realize the influence that we have, but it's out there, right? And, uh, and so getting to know you better through the interviews that we've done, and then hearing about your process of writing a book, um, it was very exciting to me because uh, religious and spiritual documentation, texts, uh, breakdowns, you know, how to, how to chew this, how to, how to understand what we're looking at is something I think is, is a, a, extremely important, you know, because there's so many different ways to interpret. And when you find your way to interpret things, that's beautiful. But finding your way to trust your interpretation of what you're actually reading, I think is very hard. And a lot of us kind of maybe fall in a trap of that. Um, so finding the right teacher is a beautiful thing. And so Peter has been my teacher now, whether he likes it or not, for a few years. <laughs> and uh, and so this book that he's written, um, it's my second time through it uh, right now. He's just put out a workbook for it as well. Um, but I figured we'd have him on today, talk about his book, this contribution to this beautiful literature that, that's out there. And, you know, the process, the, 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 the content, you know, the workbook, all that stuff. Um, and just see where the conversation leads us. Peter has a, like the a vast well of knowledge inside that brain of his, and uh, I just love where these conversations go. So, Peter, thank you so much for letting me be long winded and uh, and welcoming you back to our show. Thank you, Adam. It's so good to be back on Journey. Can we just call your pod podcast Journey? Journey. There you go. Just oh, I love it. just like the band, right? <laughs> <laughs> a, little, a little different. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, man, I'm so excited to have you back. Uh, you know, as soon as your book came out, I, I, I bought it right away and plowed through it. And, and just, it felt like I was talking to you again. And you're one of my favorite guests. You're actually one of the highest rated guests that I have on my podcast, which I don't think I've told you that. Um, <laughs> so it was just like having a conversation with you over coffee, you know, just listening to you talk about the, the pearls of wisdom, the, the ways to approach uh, the, the, the wisdom paths out there. And, but I think one of the things that this book initially reminded me of. And, you know, in the work that I do, you know, I have my ideas that help me get through life, right? Um, and I do, I, I, I work with a lot of people with different ideas that get them through life, right? Different approaches, right? And we all have our different ways of approach. And what this book really reminded me is that there are countless ways that you can find information to support your path it's finding your way to interpret the knowledge that's out there so that it find that you find meaning in it right and so like with buddhism with confucianism with christianity with catholicism with the religions with the spiritualities when you break it down even you know and you don't talk about this in the book but even things like satanism and anarchy and or, or atheism if you really break down the uh, the understanding of these practices, it's just to be a good person, not be a dick, right? Some uh, some practices like Satanism, they have less rules, but they still break it down to just like, hey, do what you feel is right for you, right? Um, and so I, that's that reminder that I get when I read a book like this is that everything is saying exactly the same thing. It's just how are you wanting to interpret it so that it lands somewhere within you so that it, it strikes a chord in you. And I think that's the beauty of, 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 a, of a book like this, is it, it opens up the idea that the knowledge is there for you to find it. I'm, I'm grateful for your description of your experience around this book, Adam, because that was really kind of a guiding motivation for me when I sat down and kind of mapped this book out 14 years ago, like, what the heck am I going to do here? I feel like <laughs> something needs to be done, you know, and I want to take all these ideas as a as a community college philosophy and religious studies and mythology professor, working with tens of thousands of students over the decades and, and, and studying all these wonderful wisdom traditions, certain ideas began to rise to the surface that I felt were most useful. That was always uh, a guiding principle for me, you know, give me something I can use. Because um, philosophy is sometimes justifiably accused of being kind of, you know, navel gazing or yeah. intellectually abstract, or it's just like intricacy for the sake of intricacy. Yes. And, 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 and believe me, I, I love all that ornamentation, but I also, it also leaves me a little cold and, and I wanted to, I kept thinking back to the students that I've cross paths with who who I saw a, a kind of light turning on in their eye as they began to understand the four noble truths of Buddhism or mm. this stoicism idea or or whatever uh, and that's the good stuff right the inner transformation the awakening or maybe even the affirmation of glimmerings of of inner knowing that you've had since you were nine years old and then you hear some philosophy professor in a in a class say it out loud because it's a buddhist idea and you're like holy cow like i'm recognizing now my own longing for wisdom in the great voices of the wisdom traditions and that recognition is so affirming hmm. 
and and so validating and back to my earlier point it's so pragmatic you know it's so like here's here's an idea that's going to help me heal the disintegration that i'm feeling the the depression the anxiety the dysfunction the fear you know here's some medicine for that so give me some more yeah and i think you know to your point too when you can find different ways to present similar types of information um you know, every, every human is built differently. You know, our school system is based off like an average way of learning. And most people right. learn this way. So let's present knowledge in this way. And if you do good, then you're better than that. If you don't, then you're lower than average and we'll figure it out. Right. But we know that, that humans have the ability to learn if we find the way to meet them with where they're at. And I think bringing things like this, these concepts in different ways to people can help people understand that they do get this, right? It may not be in the this, our, that, not, you know, whatever Roman language you're trying to decipher or whatever biblical text you're trying to get through. It's, it's chewy sometimes, you know, it's like chewing an IPA. It's just like you're, you're, you're eating your, it's like, it's so much, right? But yeah. if you can find somebody that can break these understandings down to an approachable way for you, that almost helps the ego a little bit to be like, hey, I actually get some of this. Like, I've thought about this before. I've just never thought about it in the verbiage that you've, that you've spoken it to me now. So now that I have context to that, I can have faith and have confidence that I'm, I'm understanding this and find my own way approach it instead of being so turned off by all of the, the verbiage or the concepts that you just say F it and throw your hands up and walk away and just you know, do your best on your own. Sometimes I feel like that's what's the most valuable thing about either classes I teach, talks I give, or books like this, um, is not even the surface content of the book or the specific concepts, but that feeling, again, of, of being invited into a conversation that's been going on for thousands of years all over the world, across all borders, temporal and geographical, and you feel yourself being drawn into the heart of this universal human longing hmm. to, for wisdom, for wholeness, for love, for for coming out of confusion and into clarity. That's the that's the root meaning of the word philosophy. This love of wisdom, this this longing that we feel to come out of our loneliness and our angst, and and so. Back to your earlier point, that was key for me to write this book in a conversational way. And I, it, I, I think of all the feedback I've gotten about this book, the most common, like if I was going to do one of those word maps that you do in your computer uh -huh. um, or whatever they're called, you know, where the most prominent words of a group's feedback sort of become the largest words in the image, uh -huh. but it, it would be. It would be something like, you know, this book feels like you're just talking to the author over a cup of coffee. There's a conversational, very down-to-earth tone. I, it's it's not an academic book, it's, you know. So it's it's not for some of my fellow philosophy colleagues. Yeah. Uh, it, it's I wanted to be, you know, like what Joseph Campbell did for mythology, what Carl Sagan did for astrophysics. You know, let's take these really arcane fields of esoteric knowledge, and 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 put it in people's hands, you know, folks that have busy lives doing the great things they're doing. So how to take it out of the, of the sort of proprietary ownership of the specialists and, and put it into a generalist tone with the emphasis on 
practicality. That's why every book, sorry, that's why every chapter ends with a summary called a wise person. And it's just sort of, this is how these qualities would be if they were embodied in someone. Mm -hmm. And every chapter closes with a guided meditation to just sort of let's let's let these ideas kind of go down deeper into our awareness. I, you know, and I, I, there's something with me about books that end with guided meditations. There's, I I love it so much, you know, I mean, for me personally, I I love it because it's, it's, it adds more content for me to kind of look over and to, to sit with, but I I do a lot of events. And so like I, I speak a lot. And so it's so nice to have something like that to be able to pull information from when I'm doing like a yoga nidra or like some kind of meditation or something. And, you know, so for personally, I mean, just, you know, for me, I, I love, I'm not uh, sorry for plagiarizing you sometimes, Peter, but, uh, you know, it's beautiful, right? The words you write are are amazing. So I have to use it sometimes. (laughs) Well, that's, you know, this, this workbook that I put together in, in, you know, there's a ton of questions for each chapter to lead people through and, and toward the end of each section of the workbook is just, Hey, you know, invite your, your group to read aloud the section called a wise person or invite someone to read aloud the guided meditation. The rest of you just close your eyes and do it, you know? So, um, you know, that's one of the things you learn in studying wisdom traditions is the conceptual intellectual work is, is, is uh, an important part of it, but it it is insufficient uh, without embodying and, and, allowing these insights to sink beneath the thought stream into the awareness of our deeper selves. And you could vocabularize that in, in the vocabulary of any particular wisdom tradition, Mm. but you know, there, we are more than just a mind full of thoughts. Right. And, and so that's what those final sections of each chapter are about. Yeah. It really reminds me of the, uh, the, uh, you know, the Buddhist tradition of the Dharma talks after a meditation, you know, it's where you have that opportunity to, you know, sit, you meditate, you know, do what you need to do. But afterwards you have the person that is guiding the meditation, whether it's a guided meditation or they're just sitting there at the head. Uh, as soon as everything's done, it's like you have this beautiful conversation about anything. It could be about life. It could be about love. It could be about loss, compassion, grief. But it's it's this in-depth opportunity for you to talk, to listen, to absorb after you've cleared your body in this meditation. And it, it's so reminiscent of that. It almost I mean, it made me feel like I was sitting in my local Buddhist temple over in Woodenville. The first I time I read that, that the, you know, the, the wise person after the first chapter, I'm like, oh, man, this is... I feel like I should be like sitting here with a blanket wrapped around my shoulders, like in cross leg, looking up at a person on a podium. It's it's such a and, and I, I think that's what this is. Cool. Things like this invoke that sense of reverence, right? And that sense of there's something beautiful happening. There's information being shared in a very deep, deep way that you might get right now, but you're gonna get even deeper the more you think, the more you ruminate, the more you sit with this stuff, and the more you talk about it, right? <clears throat> having those opportunities to have book clubs or to have this workbook to be able to really fish out those deep ideas that might be just boiling right under the surface that just need that little poke from the right kind of uh, right kind of verbiage. And a lot of people, I think, have a misconception about philosophy um, that it is that it is just strictly an intellectual conceptual idea uh, uh, practice or you know like like a like a stack of books that that you can kind of go to that are just full of ideas and again that's certainly part of it but i wanted to emphasize 
again, the idea that philosophy is an activity. It's not a set of ideas, disembodied ideas that can be transferred from one person to another. You kind of, wisdom is something you have to kind of live through and experience and um, feel in your body and feel in your soul and in your heart and all those words we use to try to talk about this mysterious humanness that we are. <laughs> Uh, but uh, philosophy is far more than just intellectual or cerebral. Yeah, yeah. And I I appreciate people that, that speak to people instead of speak over people, you know. And I think there's a, a lot of what you just said in philosophy that kind of turned me off in the very beginning. was um, I didn't realize how to ingest it, and I wasn't um, – I didn't have a teacher at the time. But also, like, I just didn't understand – the way things were being, you know, the first time I read the Bhagavad Gita, um, I read, somebody just gave it to me and there was no cliff notes. There was no nothing. It was just the book, the Bhagavad Gita, the chapter from the Mahabharata. And I read it and I, it was like a chore, you know, it was yeah. such a chore to, to sit there and read through what Arjuna was talking to Krishna about and all these names that I could barely pronounce and I didn't understand. <laughs> and then I read uh, a number of years later, I read uh, Eknath Iswaran's version where he prefaces each chapter with his breakdown of like, hey, this is what they're going to talk about. This is kind of what to expect. And I mean, to my own ignorance, I had no idea that version of a book was out there for any type of like any type of concepts out there. And so I immediately snatched up all of his books and was like, cool, all right, well, he's a teacher that I can figure out, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important to be able to make this um, this this uh, information palatable to our generations that are current, right? You know, the generations that are coming through right now are speaking very differently than we spoke, right? And we're speaking very differently than our predecessors spoke, you know, and so like finding that way to meet the person where they're at, not holding this thing up here and saying, no, 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 you need to figure out my vocabulary to get this information. No, let's let's make this information palatable through all vocabulary levels, you know? Yeah, you know, you learn that early on as a teacher. You, you, you have to start where students are. Right. And and Confucius has this line that often comes comes to mind that that um oh now it now it's left my mind because i thought of something else you know but just talking with you does that i have so many ideas that i'm thinking about here but it'll swing i'll get back to that later you, you know how it is oh yeah but, you know there, there is oh yeah that, that what a what a what a joy and what a pleasure it is to learn and at due times express what one has learned there, there, there there's an enjoyment in in learning that is often I think overlooked mm. and it's just really exciting to kind of come into the space of new ideas again that you sort of recognize as relevant to you as as relevant to your pain to your situation and that is this an enormous gift to mm. to experience with a group of people but we need we need teachers um a it's another line of confucius that the job of a teacher is to reanimate the past. So how do you take the, and that's what Iknath Iswaran did with the Bhagavad Gita. You know, he's this Indian born professor of English literature of all things, who comes to California and had a long career teaching at Berkeley uh, and, in, and translate, took it upon himself to create fresh English translations of the Bhagavad Gita and the Dhammapada of Buddhism and a bunch of the Upanishads. And I have them right here on my desk that are just constant go-to books because he does what you just said is he 
finally kind of translates it in a way that that you finally hear it because some of the the free copies that are given away by the Society for Krishna Consciousness, the Hare Krishnas and others who set up a table on my college campus and hand out Bhagavad Gita's. But in my opinion, those translations translated by their head guru are rather impenetrable hmm. and 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 don't don't um, meet you where you are. And they invite you into an esoteric practice, which is going to take a lot of work to kind of crack the code. Uh, and I think that's what great um, translators do is they put it in a vernacular that is familiar to us so that we can so that we can use it. And I, I've when I started my teaching career, I, I specifically headed for community college because I wanted to teach nothing but introductory classes. Hmm. Most of my students are not going to become philosophy majors. So I'm teaching people who are going to go on and live all kinds of other lives as dental hygienists and Uber drivers and, and entrepreneurs and, and teachers and God knows what, right? Mm -hmm. Re, re, realtors. And, but they're going to be citizens. They're going to raise families. They're going to be neighbors. And they need to know about the wisdom of the Tao Te Ching and the Bhagavad Gita and, and, and Socrates too, maybe more so than philosophy majors do. So I was always drawn to that idea of let me be the tour guide to some of this stuff for folks who've never heard of it before. That's such a beautiful, beautiful approach to that. I've, I've never really thought about that before, you know, and it's like, you know, everybody, I guess, you know, what it reminds me of is Vipassana, you know, the first time I did a Vipassana and, uh, you know, you're sitting there, I think it's day four, or day five, day three is when Goenka finally comes on. They finally, you know, play the voice of Goenka over and he starts giving you the Dharma talks and stuff. But the first three days, you're just sitting there in pain. You're like, my knees hurt, my back hurts. I've been meditating for 11 hours a day for three days now. And this is crazy. This is stupid, I can't talk. Yeah. I can't, I can't do yoga. All I can do is walk, eat and sleep and, and, and meditate. But one of the things they talk about finally is how, you know, we're in a world where we have what they call householders, right? Not everybody can, can omit themselves and go dedicate themselves to live in a cave in the Himalayas and just like pray to God and do all the things and not be triggered, not be surrounded by society, holding space for humanity, right? Great. Good for you. That's amazing. But there's still, you know, eight and a half yeah. billion people in this world. And a lot of us have to be part of that world, part of the economy, part of the society, part of the community Raising of it. Kids. Right, yeah. exactly. So being that householder uh, is what they call it. <clears throat> but, you know, a lot of times those householders might not have information geared towards them. Right? right. And like you just said, like, we're all a part of this world. We're all a part of this society. And if you're if your like Chick-fil-A manager has some understanding of the Bhagavad Gita or the Tao or, you know, Christian religion or something like that, that lands in a beautiful way with that person, that might allow that person to be a better manager in the world that they live in, a better, you know, parent, better, whatever it is, you know, so making this information a, a, a place where everybody can go get it, you don't have to dedicate your life to it, but you're in familiarizing yourself with the concepts of it. It's just making us, giving us a better opportunity to live better lives and to be better parts of society. Yeah. And that's that's why the subtitle, you know, the, the book is called The Seven Stone Path, and the subtitle is An Everyday Journey to Wisdom. And for me, that word everyday means two things, at least. It means like there's a consistent commitment to practice every day, but everyday also means a kind of down-to-earth, ordinary, oh, it's just an everyday, you know, loaf of bread. It's not fancy bread or whatever. Yeah. So there, there's that kind of ordinariness that I that I wanted to convey as well. Let's demystify the process. 
Definitely. Well, how did you, so in, in all of the information that you've been either teaching or ingesting over the years, uh, how did you land on these seven kind of concepts to interweave within the book itself? You know, it's a great question and I, I don't exactly know how to answer it briefly. It's not like I just woke up one day and these seven ideas had arranged themselves <laughs> themselves in a neat, uh, coherent list. I, it, 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 each of these ideas kind of came up out of the fog as, you know, these are very important. The first one's acceptance. And I thought maybe I should start there because that's where Buddhism and Stoicism begins to how can I bring about change in my life if I at first do not let go of all of my resentments and all of my unmet, you know, my, my anger about unmet expectations. Mm. And that's all in the Four Noble Truths of Buddhism. So the book kind of starts there, like, how do I cultivate the consciousness of acceptance, accepting things the way they are? And the second one's surrender, because then, then they just started to kind of, once I picked a starting point, well, then I need to talk about surrender. You know, which is really just kind of another word for, for acceptance, but it's much deeper. It's much more active, ironically. You're consciously letting go of the illusion that you are the manager of the universe. And <laughs> and then and then but then I thought, okay, those are those pretty the, those first two are pretty soft, acceptance and surrender. The third one needs to be again the Bhagavad Gita, engagement or action, mm. uh, which is so key. It's like, okay, I have to I have to be in the world. I have to get some food today. I have to deal with all these other people. Um, and so wisdom traditions have to deal with what is right action, what is the moral way to be engaged in the world, knowing that I never have enough information, that no matter what I do, as the Gita teaches <laughs> us, no matter what I do, somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to be angry. And, and, and yet to stay true to my dharma, to my purpose anyway. So the wisdom of engagement is the third stone. And then... Well, that one, uh, for me, it really... And I, you talk about this in the book, but that one, that, that one it resonates with me a lot, the engagement side. Um, and when you talk about how the Father Michael prayer, you know, allow me to be an mm -hmm. instrument, you know, um, that was one of the hardest concepts for me to get early on in my understanding of practicing. And, but now become, has become one of the, the most important parts of my practice is, you know, like the, the surrenderment of, yes, I am a human being in this life. Uh, yeah. I've woken up today. So clearly I have something to do. So, Hey, let me sit in my meditation and open myself up to the understanding of I'm going to be a vessel today. I'm going to get some shit done for you. So let me find the strength to, to do that. And let me just be that thing that you need. Right. And that was a hard concept for me to get because that's a lot of like turning off your ego because my ego is like, but you have shit to do, Adam. You're going to go to yoga. Yeah. You're going to do this interview with Peter. You've got things to do. Right. Well, if I just open myself up to my Dharma, uh, clearly my Dharma, part of my Dharma is talking with Peter and keeping myself healthy. So moving my body in some kind of way. Yeah. Right. And so it's, it's, it's almost like you're playing with your own emotions in the way that you want to talk to yourself and receive information to get to those points of, you know, getting out of your own goddamn way. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, surrender sounds so soft. It sounds like giving up. So we have some unlearning to do initially, which is to kind of reframe our understanding of surrender, not as defeat, not as weakness, but as actually a stance of incredible empowerment. You know, there, when you're, when you, when you, when you come into a 
task like we're doing right now, where we're having this con conversation, which we hope has val value for someone. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't come in, you and I aren't reading off a list of bullet points. We're, we're just showing up here trusting that our daily work of many, many years behind us has kind of carried us to this place where where we can move through a set of questions and and ideas will arise in in due course in due proportion you know we're both listening we're both speaking and and so we're surrendering to something mm. and 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 that gets to the next stone which is allowance you know to to go in well after engagement to go to allowance which is to act in a way that is in deep cooperation with what is already unfolding. All of that Taoist Wu Wei stuff, that, that was an important one for me to kind of add. And I struggled with the word allowance because, you know, that the primary meaning of that word is that little bit of money mom and dad gave you when, when you were a kid. Right. Yeah. Where's my where's my weekly allowance, at least for ordinary middle class folks, I guess, who had money to give to their kids. But um, you know, I get a quarter when I was eight or something, then it went up to 50 cents, you know, and, and now it's probably 20 bucks a week. Uh, exactly. Uh, exactly. <laughs> right, yeah. Here's your debit card, you know, whatever. Right, yeah. But, um, but anyway, uh, by allowance, I mean, that sense of fluidity of what the Taoists call Wu Wei of, of creative letting be just like when you're surfing, you, you paddle out into the water, you're not in charge of the waves, you don't control any of it. Your only opportunity for engagement is to move into accord with what is already unfolding. And there's your power hmm. is how well can you cooperate, cooperate with with what is already unfolding. That's how nature works. That's how all wildlife lives. There's a weird alchemy, a combination of individual assertion and communal um, surrender. Yeah. And there's an analogy you, you also make in the book revolving around surfing as well about how, like, if you say you, you, you're on the wave and you fall off the wave, if you fight the wave in the water, it's going to last forever. You're going to tumble. You're going to feel like it's an hour forever underneath there. But if you just surrender to that wave and allow it to do what it needs to do, it'll just blur, brush right over you. You'll be up above water before you know it, you know? Yeah. You won't panic. You know, panic is what kills people when they're drowning. It's not the water. Right. Um, and, and so f struggling against something as the opposite of allowance. Um, but we also have to be cautious and, and, and that's why you have to write a whole book instead of just a <laughs> thousand word blog post, yeah. because yeah. we have to be clear about what surrender does not mean. You do not surrender to your abusive partner. You do not surrender to slavery uh, in society, you do not so, uh, surrender to injustice and stupidity and cruelty and vulgarity. These things exist, but there is still work to do to make the world more just, yeah. to contribute in that, you know, that beautiful Jewish Hebrew phrase from the, from the Kabbalah tradition, Tikkun Olam, to participate in the healing of the world. This mm. is our purpose. And so there is always work to be done. And, yeah. and so we aren't, you know, people hear the word acceptance or allowance or surrender and they think, oh, am I supposed to just be a doormat <laughs> and let everybody wipe their feet on me? Absolutely not. Uh, so this is a kind of action that is egoless, 
without attachment to outcomes, but highly engaged in the same way that all other energy around us is highly engaged. Yeah, that's, I think that's important too. Like, uh, you know, we can, we can think that, you know, spirituality or, or religious folks, they're just, they're, they're very passive and they just allow, I trust in God. I trust in spirit. Yeah, I trust the universe. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, when I first started my, I went from a very corporate, non-religious, non-spiritual life to, you know, finding my way with this. And I remember yeah. the first few times I practiced at yoga studios and, and I'm still, you know, very new to the communities, new to the verbiage, new to the understandings. But the thing that used to really ping me and, and I understand why it does now, but before I didn't put context to it, I was just like, that's a fucking stupid statement. It's, uh, uh, you know, I would hear all these people say, well, I'm just going to trust in the universe. I just trust that the universe <laughs> is going to do this. And I, and I've heard that, that phrase before, but I would never see any follow-up. Right. It's like, I'm going to trust the universe to provide for me. And I'm going to, while I'm trusting the universe, I'm going to sit on my couch and watch Netflix. Well, no, that second Ex part is right. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, okay, <clears throat> trust. Yes, trust. I get that part. But there should be still some effort on your side to show that you deserve the trust that you're asking for. Right. So, like, if I'm asking for peace, but I go out and I kick my dog and then I scream at my kid, then whatever God is up there is going to look at me and be like, well, clearly you found peace because you're asking for peace. And then you're you're following that up by screaming at somebody and hitting something else. So if that's your definition of peace, boobity, bobbity, boom, you found it. Right. There you go. <laughs> Right. This it's, is the in, this is the integration, which is the seventh stone, right? That the mm -hmm. book is moving toward. It's like it, this is the paradox that has to be integrated in a life that leans into wisdom, namely, how do I commit to action while simultaneously uh, allowing things to unfold on their own? And right. it sounds like crazy talk. So when people mouth these 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 platitudes about I'm just gonna let the universe take care of it or whatever, perhaps, on a pot in 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 a in a most positive interpretation of that, it means I'm not going to act from ego and run around pissed off and demanding that the that the world is not heeding my will. Yeah. But but instead, I'm going to stay very very engaged while at the same time uh, letting everything else around me unfold, but according to its terms, uh, just as a tree, just as a sapling growing in a meadow you know, is going to do everything it can to engage in expanding its own life to allow to allow its natural growth to occur. It, 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 it doesn't have delusions of control over the weather uh, or what other organisms around them are doing. It just says, how can I work with what's happening here? Right. It's kind of like that Taoist middle path, right? Yes, I'm on a path, but if I get pulled to the right, that's great. I'll move over to the right, but I'm not tied to the right side. And if I get pulled to the left, I'll move over towards the left and just find my way back, you know, towards that center side. But allowing that, that the freedom of life to move you where it, it feels it needs you to go, but without you saying, no, I'm going to go here. I need to go there or I need to stay here. Yeah, exactly. And, and so after those first acceptance, uh, surrender, engagement, allowance, after the first four, we get to five, six, and seven, which are enjoyment, love, and integration. And enjoyment is a chapter about trying to navigate how to, how to be in the world um, and, and be at play in the field of forms, neither a life-denying ascetic or 
a ridiculously dysfunctional hedonist, <laughs> but some kind of some kind of middle path there. It's like let's enjoy the fact that there is pleasure, that there is enjoyment. In fact, there is something sacred about enjoyment. Um, again, the one you know rooted in ahimsa or nonviolence or non-harm to others. So that seemed like an important piece to add in. That philosophy gets a bad rap for being kind of dour and and you know severe and. But there, there ought to be more laughing and and enjoyment and pleasure, and it's a beautiful world. And so the the idea of kama from the Hindu tradition, K A M I A, that's one of the aims of life is to, is is to feel joy and and maybe even there's something sacred, not maybe, <laughs> about sunsets, you know, about mm. a star filled sky and 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 about a newborn baby and. The, if you're not smiling at these things, you're you're stuck in your mind. You you got to come into the the flow of what is actually happiness. This, this is a beautiful, blissful world, and and so that's a part of. And in fact, I argue in the book that enjoyment is the natural outcome that arises when you get a little bit better at the first four steps: acceptance, surrender, allowance, and engagement. And then you move into love, and I had to write a chapter about that. Boy, what a crazy word that is. It just means so much. It means so much that it almost ends up meaning nothing. Mm. And there was a lot of housekeeping to do around that word, and and there's a lot of exploring. And then the last stone is is integration. And I hope to kind of, you know, now that we've thought through all these previous six stones or ideas, that let's see if we can kind of make peace with paradox and talk about integration in a couple of ways in the Jungian way of mm. personal integration, making peace with my own shadow and also practicing what all the wisdom traditions ask us to do, you know, compassion, karuna or forgiveness and recognize that the people around us are, are flawed, um, working with not enough information either and their own woundedness. And just like us, they're kind of muddling through and, and you're not going to find perfect people anywhere. And so how do we uh, let go of our constant resentment and disappointment? And, and, and to me, all of the stones are really facets of one stone. And, and that was the mystery I was kind of toying with the whole time. Mm. I think that, you know, ending on the integration side, you know, makes so much sense, but I think it's so it's super important too, that uh, that's a step that I feel um, is missed a lot of times. Uh, especially, you know, if, if you have, um, you know, excitement about entering a new modality, right? Um, whether it's, you know, a healing modality, a knowledge modality, whatever it is, um, you know, right now I see it a lot with plant medicines. You know, there's a, there's a big um, uh, excitement about plant medicines and what they can do for us, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's uh, ayahuasca or psilocybin or even the energetic medicines like ketamine or MDMA. And... Um, there are beautiful therapy programs now set up to hold space for you in those moments. So if you need somebody, a guide of some sort, you know, there's those people there, those are programs that are there. Uh, But especially early on um, what I've seen been the misstep is the integration afterwards, right? So you've had this big moment, like you've saw God in your ayahuasca experience, right? You've, you've sat in the volume of your brain and pulled out books and books and books and read them from, cover to cover about your anxiety and your depression and your psilocybin journeys, right? You've had all these moments and then you just wake back up as Adam, right? 
there needs to be somebody or some process or something there yeah to talk to you about it how did that feel what did you learn where it's like that workbook that you've just that you've uh you've created for this you know like we need that integration that integration is one of the the most important parts of the entire experience right so set and setting i think is the most important part of any kind of journey like have have your set and setting but the integration side of it, I think, is is now understanding where we're getting to that that point to where we know how important it is. But I think it's been a misstep in the beginning of a lot of our journeys. And so to end with that integration side and now to follow it up with the workbook, you know, I think is very, very special for anybody that's that's chewed this already or has this in their future. That saying, we make the path by walking. Mm. Uh, and and that. You know, and I always couple that in my own mind with that great line from Krishnamurti of, of truth is a pathless land. And so the central image, and it's something I sort of, uh, spo- spoiler alert here, something I sort of reveal in the seventh chapter is there is no path. You know, the, <laughs> whole, the, whole, the whole image around which this book is constructed, that there is this seven stone path is is just an image you know it's just a it's a useful kind of thought structure to to play with as we move through our inquiry into these ideas but when we get to the end we realize there really isn't literally a path and 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 yet uh, the most important part of of any philosophical inquiry is the inquiry itself not like well tell me the answers <laughs> you know uh and it's and philosophy sometimes gets this this kind of weird bad rap it, well it's just a bunch of questions it's never it never answers anything what uses philosophy they still haven't answered any of their questions and i get that <laughs> that seems like a legitimate point to raise but but uh once you spend some time in the work you realize hmm no one can give you the answer secondhand. It's through the engagement with this inquiry with other good people around you and a guide maybe that you will begin to experience welling up from within you, increasing clarity, increasing uh, peace, uh, wellness. Hmm. And, and that is, that's, that's a pleasure that is so delicious and so sweet and so surprisingly subtle and powerful and it 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 can't be you can't get that from six hours on psilocybin with a guide you know what what that's going to do is some amazing stripping away of Mm -hmm. some of the maybe old ways of thinking that need to go uh and and so it polishes a window and and you can sort of see through the window more clearly now but now you have to kind of open the door and get out of the house right and 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 really start to travel uh and apply uh through trial and error all of these new possibilities that you begin to see that you hadn't seen before until the window got cleaned right right and I, you know, you mentioned in the beginning of this talk is like, I think that's one of the most important things about having a good teacher, you know, is they, they know when to apply the the gas and the brakes, right? They know how to integrate what you've just experienced. They know how to, to, to share that space with you. So, you know, you, you don't, so your experiences reach the full potential of what they can be, right? 
Uh, I can honestly say a lot of times, like, and even with meditation in my beginning of my journey, you know, I didn't have a teacher. It was something that, you know, a concept somebody dropped in my lap and I'm like, okay, I can sit, we'll figure this out. (laughs) And, uh, and I sat for years and just listened to my breath and listened to my back in pain and my knees aching (laughs) and barely found if anything, any points of meditation. Um, but you know, finding the right teacher to help guide me and help me, you know, listen to my breath and, you know, these things that, that, you know, the, the right kind of teacher for you can hold that space for you and help you out. But it's, it's part of, you know, it's, it's part of all of those seven steps to, to get to the point to where you can accept the information coming in from a teacher or the knowledge that you actually need a teacher, I think is ingrained in all of these seven steps, you know, acceptance of the understanding that, that you don't know everything, surrendering to the concept that there's knowledge out there you'll never grasp. You know, it's kind of like going into a library and being surrounded by vast volumes of all the knowledge in the world that you'll ever, ever need at your fingertips, but being depressed that you'll that? never read it yeah. all, right? <laughs> it's like, ah, yeah. fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> well, with, um, actually, I would say, so the second time reading this book through, uh, I, had a, I had a question that popped in my head. And it's kind of a philosophical question, and it's it's kind of wrapped up in the the idea of artificial intelligence. Uh-huh. Uh, and you know, so one of the ideas that I've been reading a lot about AI, and if this is out of your scope, all good, you know, we can move on. But um, one of the the ideas about AI that I've been le- learning about or reading about is how they're trying to train it to be more human, right? Train it to be more um, understanding of the human emotions, the human um, decision making scale that we have to the, you know em- embody every single day. All the things that go into that, because right now, from my understanding, is AI is very you know very very non empathetic with the way that they approach decisions, right? So the idea is that they're creating these opportunities for AI to experience different versions of life so that they can get a, a, a back catalog, basically, of how to approach love and, and divorce and separation and all this shit that we do, right? And in reading all of that, it sounds a lot like the concept of reincarnation to me, right? Where we have human beings reliving, going through countless, countless versions of life so that our souls can fully embrace and understand all the aspects of the human experience, the, the emotional spectrum that we sit with, the, uh, all the things that we do. That correlation to me is very strange. That's interesting. You know, and it's, it's very interesting because like as, as impactful as we expect artificial intelligence to be, um, in a way, and I did, I did read this concept from somewhere else. I can't remember where. So it's not my concept, but this really landed with me. But there's this idea out there that nature created and helped humans evolve so we can be the artificial intelligence of nature. Nature can't go out there and swing a hammer and build, right? Um, nature can't, um, can't direct what it wants to create. It creates, right? And so the idea was that fungus... You know, because we humans share more DNA commonalities with fungus than we do with plants, and plants than fungus, right? We share more with fungus. It's very interesting. So the yeah. idea, one of those concepts, is like you know, nature was like, hey, all right, monkey people, bipedals, right? We're gonna we're gonna put language in you and give you a thumb, the god's finger, and let you swing hammers and build shit and go out there and make us proud. And now we've gotten to that point to where we've not exhausted the, the what we can do, but we're, we're getting close, right? And so now we're creating now something that's outside of what we can do, but we have to train it as we're being trained to continue 
the project of humanity in a way. That's very interesting. Yeah, it is. Carl Carl Sagan put it this way, and he's an he's a materialist, right? An atheist. Uh, he, he said that that we are the universe's capacity to be conscious of itself. Mm. So we are the eyes and ears and conceptual mind that has evolved out of the elements around us to ask questions like, "What is the universe?" and "What is?" a human being and so on. So our, our sentience, our, our capacity to introspect, to look within and to create elaborate conceptual understandings of all of this energy and form around us is through one lens anyway, is simply the universe evolving to the point where it becomes conscious of itself. Mm. And so this is what, what sci-fi writers that we all grew up with kind of played with, like, you know, Blade Blade Runner, right? I mean, mm. what what happens when the when the robots become conscious that they are robots? It's heartbreaking, and 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 AI puts us, and it's only like a year old, right? Right. right. Yeah. AI, which is dragging all of us into this new place where we've created such sophisticated search engines, and you know, every time you use Google, you're using AI. Whenever I ask. Google, which owns YouTube, to caption my latest YouTube video, that's AI. You know, it's listening to my voice. It's putting it in in English. I have to go through and fix the punctuation sometimes. But, you know, we're all already using it all the time anyway, whenever you talk to Siri. So it's like, let's not get on our high horse and I'll complain about how AI is some evil thing. You know, we asked for this and here we are. So here we are but like the like mary shelley's 1818 or whatever novel uh frankenstein asked almost 200 years ago i guess 200 years ago uh what happens when we make a machine that we can't control and i like your inquiry about there is a parallel isn't there between what reincar what the model of reincarnation ostensibly does for us humans namely put us into tens of thousands of incarnations where we get to be every kind of person in every kind of situation. And then something lingers in our, whatever it is about us that gets reincarnated. And so we carry this forward into hopefully more and more enlightened living. And in a way, the people who create AI are trying to replicate that in a much more rapid way Mm. by telling AI, go read everything on the internet. Yeah. And, and and it's like okay i did that already right. and then you're like okay write me a legal position on roe v wade or something or whatever right people ask ai to do millions of things and it kind of does it because it it sort of can copy it's you know as 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 its critics say ai is just plagiarism software right it sure it makes new sentences but it it's incapable of of what we usually mean by the phrase original thought uh, but then it starts to make you wonder, well, what is original thought? Because aren't I just sort of putting into new sentences everything that I've learned from all kinds of other teachers and sources? So it's a fascinating time. And I think that's a pretty interesting way of thinking about AI in terms of the reincarnation model. Uh, reincarnation is a fascinating possibility. You know, I'm not a reincarnation literalist. I, In my own thinking, I I think that 
explanations like that are are another beautiful, powerful, mythic image that that conceptualizes something that is fundamentally mysterious. That life does go on and and there is carryover from form to form whether i am literally reincarnating as an individual person over and over i don't know right but but it's a you might say it's a very potent parable for some kind of conscious continuity maybe on a collective level at least Hmm. through the uh thousands and thousands of years of our existence. Right. And I think it's interesting too, that like as many humans as we have and as much history as we can draw on, whether it's verbal history or, or written history or, or experienced, we still have a, of an issue explaining the concept of love or something like that to this new technology that's coming out. It's like, we can tell you all we want, but you, you gotta, you gotta feel it. You gotta experience it. You know, and that's, it's such a, I think that's a, that's a beautiful message for us as human beings is that, you know, we, we, we're constantly looking to, um, to, to somebody to give us an answer, right? Like this beautiful book that you've written, the YouTube channel that you have, we're, we're, and the reason I found you is like somebody to, to make this make sense, right? But I think that beautiful thing that we just need to understand is like, we all have that ability Right. Once we figure it out, like once we figure out the roadmap that makes sense to us, right? Like, you know, a lot of people will, like myself, right? I got diagnosed with ADHD a while back. That was a crutch I used for a long time. Oh, I can't do that. I got ADHD. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't focus on that. I got ADHD, right? Well, that, yes, it can be that, but it could also be your superpower, right? If you find the way that, that ADHD was gifted to you, right? Because of whatever reason, right? You, you find the justification within yourself then we stop looking at this thing as a crush and we see the beauty that this gift gives us. Right. And I think that's that, that, that power of finding the way that you learn and you ingest information is that you're going to be very different than anybody else. Right. Like you might've failed high school chemistry, right? That, that final you failed, but if you really look at it, it takes some people a dozen times to pass the bar exam. Right. Yeah. The, the volume in which you are, the, the time frame in which you ingest knowledge doesn't matter. It's the fact that you just get it in there, right? So I think it's it's important to, to have that understanding that there's different ways to get it. There's different uh, medias to get it in now. And there's different ways to approach teaching, learning, all of that stuff with your, within yourself that don't lose hope, right? There's, there's ways out there for you to find this information and, and find ways to ingest it. I think one of the things that makes us uncomfortable with AI is that it is essentially, in a word, mimicry. Mm. It is mimicking very successfully, uh, pretending to be knowledge or insight. Like you could ask AI, "What is what is chocolate?" And as as you were mentioning just a minute ago, it could spit out a beautiful paragraph about how chocolate tastes and the mouth feel and the depth and the acidity and the the richness and that slightly burnt taste. And, you know, it could wax poetic about what the experience of chocolate is, but it's never had chocolate. Right. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, I don't trust you. Yeah. You're just really good at, at, at pretending to be, and I'm not saying there isn't value in pretending. I'm a big fan of like movies and stuff, right? Where an actor gets up there and pretends to be someone they're not, reads lines written by somebody else. It's all being beautifully lit and shot by this team of people. And it's all this bizarre theatrical illusion that I just adore because that's what art is. It's the representation, you know, the representation mm-hmm. of real life. 
So it's not valueless and AI has its place. We've just got to make sure, and this is our, this is an ancient struggle. We just have to make sure that, that, that the technology serves our humanity and that our humanity does not begin to serve the technology. And, and I turn to the great stories to help us with that, starting with Frankenstein on through the star, the star Wars stuff, you know, and Darth Vader is, is a is a is a great cautionary tale you know he becomes the the state he mm. becomes the machine and we want to make sure that that we don't become the machine and that we retain our humanity and our humanity is fundamentally undefinable mm. it is it is a mystery it can't be programmed in ones and zeros and code writers can't write it it's because we can't define it and and so that fundamental mysteriousness is what makes us human. And that is the edge we're always going to have over AI. There you go. The great mystery. Yeah, I, it's just something on Star Wars real quick. I, I was watching something the other day and uh, I, I watched an overlay of... Apparently, George Lucas wanted to use the original actor of Darth Vader, the the person, the the the, the physical actor of Darth Vader, not James Earl Jones' voice. Sure, I forgot his name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember his name either. But he was a British gentleman, and they, tall dude. Yeah. yeah, so they wanted he wanted to use his voice as Darth Vader, and ah. so they they filmed everything, and then they, when they went to the screening. Uh, the audience was like, no, we're not feeling this. Really? And so I heard the, a couple of scenes, like famous scenes, you know, where he's crutching the guy's neck, you know, the first yeah, time. Right. And, and just hearing the original yeah, actor's right. voice other than James Earl Jones, it just, it made me laugh so much because it's like kind of high pitched, kind of like nasally. It's not yeah. like that gruff, like dark Darth Vader voice that I'm used to. <laughs> it just it yeah yeah i just had to had to throw that out there real quick because that just tickled me a little bit <laughs> no it's it's great it's like you know what's the difference between a classic rock song and a song nobody gives a shit about it's like you know the guitar tone or the way the drums are placed in the mix or mm -hmm. the vocal sound you know and it's 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 really fascinating and mysterious to me and uh what makes something connect in a huge way and what makes another representation kind of uninteresting to most people. And totally. That's the art of it. And, and believe me, nobody, nobody knows how that stuff works. It, yeah. Some people just rise up and conquer all like, like, like Taylor's Swift. Yeah. And right. <laughs> there's, there's there, there were a hundred thousand, uh, teenage singer songwriters coming up when she was coming up and nobody remembers any of those people. Yep. Somehow <laughs> it just, it, the sway towards there is like the, 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 uh, the army or the, the military storm of the beaches of Normandy, right? There's no rhyme or reason why that person fell and you're still running, but fucking no. keep running, man. We'll yeah. figure it out. There's, there's, it's chaos theory. You know, there's just a little randomness to all of the ways that all these pieces unfold just just get up and 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 do the work that is yours to do and let go of attachment to outcomes definitely and, definitely and, and most of us are not going to be rich and famous and yep but is that you know it's probably is... overrated i'll let oh, you know when gosh. i get there but yeah right yeah yeah you're closer than i am peter you let me know man <laughs> <laughs> How about that Oh, uh, well, so so you have the workbook coming uh, that you've just dropped, and yeah, so that's supporting. It's available right now for free on my website. Just go to peterbolin.com. You'll see it right there on the landing page. 
Beautiful. It's called the Seven Stone Path Workbook. It's a it's a PDF. You can just read it right there. You can download it to your device. You can print it. I'm just making that free for everybody on earth who wants it. And um, that's a nice tool to have if you're going to put a little book group together around my book or just uh, uh, just grab it anyway. Even if you don't have my book, it might help you decide whether or not you want to read the book. Right. And I think the, I mean, whether you read the book or not, definitely it references the book very nicely, but the, the questions that you ask, I think you could just layer over life. You know, you can really yeah. just like understand like some of those questions. If we ask ourselves a lot of those questions on a regular basis, we might get a little bit more clarity as to like, you know, that father Michael idea we had earlier, what's my purpose for today? You know, what am I doing today? What am I going to be faced with? And do I have the strength to do it? Yeah. Lord. Uh, no, how does it go? Is a God, uh, Take, take me where you want me to go. Let me meet who you want me to meet. Tell me what you want me to say and keep me out of your way. There you go. That's yeah. a nice prayer. Uh, you know, Roman Catholicism is not my path, but yeah. I know a good prayer when I hear one. That was pretty <laughs> awesome. Talk about letting go, right? And just saying, I'm going to allow Brahman or Tao or Dharmakaya or the Holy Spirit to kind of move through me right now. And it's not going to put me in some mystical cloud. It's going to make me super present to you and to this and to this moment. And that's what all the wisdom traditions are asking us to do. Come out of the, the, the fog of your thoughts and come into this meeting, into this moment, into this conversation. Yeah. What does this person need? What? How can I be of service? Uh, that's what prayers like that help us do. And And let go of the anxiety that I'm not good enough, that I won't know what to say. Uh, of course we don't know what to say, you know? Yeah. You don't know what it's going to be asked yet though, you know? Show up. Yeah. I remember the, the, so I started using a version of that, that, uh, prayer slash mantra for my, uh, for my energy work, you know, and it's, Mm. especially when I'm doing sound healing, like if I have a set, you know, if I like, oh, I'm going to play this set, you know, set list of sorts, right. It doesn't really work. Right. So got to the practice of uh, allow me to be a hollow bone conduit for the, for the, the energies of the universe. Right. So let those energies move through my hollow bones into, you know, whatever needs to happen. Right. It's very, very similar to the father Michael idea. And, and it was interesting because I I think I'd been, you know, utilizing that mantra for a couple months. um, Let's say about a dozen sound baths. And I had somebody come up to me after one of them that was pretty regular at, at, you know, the events that I hold. And they, they said, I don't know what you've done differently. Um, but, it it feels like there's 10 people playing instruments when you're up there. Awesome. The sounds that are being overlaid and all this stuff happening. It's, and she said, it sounds like it, it in my head, I picture Krishna arms coming out from your back and everything grabbing mallets. And I'm just like, oh, my God, that's that's like the nicest thing anybody's ever said, because and, nice. and it didn't hit me until I till, till she said that. But that's basically what I'm asking to have happen is let me get out of the way. Get my physical humanness out of the way, right? I have these limbs and I have these thumbs that can hold things and I have an ear that knows what sounds good. So outside of that, move it around. Do some things, right? And so you're not sitting there thinking, oh, wait, my C bowl is going to fade more quickly than the G bowl. So I got to go back to the C bowl and maybe instead of, you know, spinning around to get the sound maybe i need to hit it with the felt mallet or the wooden mallet and it's like you're not thinking about exactly. any of that exactly exactly it's just it literally is just doing what it does like all of a sudden my foot is hitting the gong i'm like okay i guess that's happening now like shit that never happened before right totally and so it, it, it's just it's <laughs> it's such a beautiful thing to to i think be witness to some of the work that you've been putting in 
because the work is so hard sometimes, you know, and, and that's again, why I love this book is that it takes, it takes the word work out of it. It, cause it doesn't feel like work, right? It feels like you're, you're ingesting something, you're learning, you're growing, you're developing, uh, you know, a lot of the work that we do feels like I'm being dragged headfirst over speed bumps, right? And it's like, oh God, here we go again. Here's another trauma I'm unearthing. Here we go. This will be fun, you know? So it's it's just nice to, it's nice when the work is, uh, is approachable and is, yeah. is, is meaningful sure. and is deep and it doesn't feel like you're swinging an ax. No, I just want to sit down. I, you know, to me, this book is an invitation just to let's, let's, let's sit down and have a, con- have a conversation about some things, uh, that maybe we haven't thought about enough. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that all the great gurus and Buddhas and prophets and sages of the past are absolutely ordinary people like, like all of us. They just pay attention to things a little differently and they spend their time a little differently. And so, you know, I don't think there's anything special uh, that we don't have. Right. And so it's, it's a function of what are we spending our time and energy on? And maybe with some rather surprisingly small adjustments, we can, uh, a lot more can be revealed. And that's an exciting possibility that you don't need all this complex arcane knowledge. You don't need to go out and buy a bunch of equipment. Um, you do, if you're going to do sound work, you got to buy all those bowls. <laughs> yeah. and you've probably bought out every shop in the Pacific Northwest, but keep them asking them too, man. Just every, <laughs> I got, I got a new gong for Christmas. I bought myself. So of course you did. Yeah. Why not? You know, you know? you're like a guitar player, like 64 guitars isn't enough. Cause that 65th one is the one, you know, man, but every time, man, every and our, time. And our, and our partners just scratch their heads. <laughs> and, you know, if they're still around. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> the bowl or me, babe. <laughs> uh well peter uh so food yeah but this bowl exactly can, you can eat cereal out of this bowl i can play this <laughs> there's so many uses for it i could justify anything <laughs> it's for the healing man yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh all right so the the newest thing you have to support the book is the the workbook uh yeah. and it seems like you're going to be doing a bit of uh, uh maybe touring or some promoting uh, behind the book now that it's been out for a few months um, so yeah, like, yeah, starting... what are those next kind of uh, steps for you? Sure. Now that the the wonderful winter holidays are, are pretty much behind us, uh, I'm looking uh, to start a, a little more focused um, outreach. You know, some I'm, I'm doing quite a few book signing events around my t- part, my neck of the woods, which is San Diego County. In fact, I'm going to one tomorrow. So um, I'm not doing a like uh, a a tour where I hop on a plane and fly to Kirkland, Washington and, and go to the Barnes and Noble. They don't know who the hell I am. And, you know, I, I, the two books I would sell wouldn't cover the plane ticket. So, <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm not at that level. I'm a first time self-published author. I'm relying on social media, things like this, wonderful allies and friends I meet along the way. Word of mouth is always the best thing. So I'm doing what I can and, 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 you know, I've been, I'm, I'm putting a little into some marketing and, and that is just getting the word out and, and letting, you know, I have this, I have this little stone on my desk. I know you can't read it uh, as I'm showing it to you on the camera, but um, it says letting the book go to do its work. That Mm. was kind of a mantra for me this last year. been working on the book forever, but 
the the hardest year was this last one really in those final 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 polishes and publication issues and permissions and et cetera, et cetera. And, and yeah. just this idea of like, just let the damn book go. You know, yeah. like you've been, you've been gestating this thing for decade and a half. It's like, let it go. You know, it's like th that great Picasso line, you know, art is never finished, but merely abandoned. Mm. <laughs> and because you never know when that song you're trying to record is done or that painting you're painting or, you know, yep. you, you just have to let it go. So it's like, I'm letting this book go. And it is what it is, and and all of its imperfections are 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 there. And now I'm just going to see how it meets people. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy the feedback I'm getting. And no, I don't have a second book in mind yet, but it's a it's a it's a distinct possibility. I'm I'm certainly not shaping that right now. Awesome. And I I think the imperfections, uh, you know, whatever they are, right? You know, and I, I yeah. the, the the author is going to be the one that's going to see the more imperfections than anybody else, right? <laughs> sure. But I, I was listening to somebody talking, I think it was D'Angelo, the the musician, uh, was talking the other day in some interview and and was talking about the soul of music has kind of gone away. You know, mm -hmm. we can quantize everything so everything's on the 1, the 2, the 3, the 4, whatever it is, right? Everything's on the beat auto-tune for vocals, right? So everything's right pitch, you know, flat sharps, they're all gone now. Everything is right where it needs to be. But mm -hmm. that's taken that perception of soul out of the music because everybody doesn't sing perfectly. If you listen to James Brown rough track from, from back in the 60s and 70s, there's so many flats and sharps and missteps and all this shit that's happening. Uh, D'Angelo himself pioneered this thing called drunk drumming back in the 90s, you know, when wind wow. quantizing was starting to become very popular and everything was on every single beat. He purposefully made it to where it didn't. Like he would obviously, he would clearly miss the one and hit like on the one and a quarter, right? Yeah. Shit like that, right? Stuff that maybe a lot of musicians, a lot of people outside of the music world wouldn't understand, but you feel. You can feel it. Right? And so I think there are, there's a beauty in the imperfections of yeah. a project because we're not perfect, right? And so to expect perfection is is an arbitrary thing. And so, like you said, abandon it. Put it out there. It's like the, the, the Guns N' Roses Chinese Democracy album, right? Axl Rose worked on that for like 15 years. It was supposed to be the most amazing thing. It ended up being a terrible album, right? Yeah. Just critically just bashed and all the shit because he took too much time rewriting, repolishing, redoing every little note, every little thing. It's got to be exactly where it is. Get it out there. Let the world take it. Go, you know, go on to the next project. Get on to the next thing. Yeah. yeah. No, those old Rolling Stone songs, you know, they speed up. They're at a different beat. <laughs> they're at a different beats per minute at the end than they were at the beginning because they're recording live, staring at each other, and whatever Charlie does, everybody else just follows them. And and there's nothing like those old Stone songs. You know, mm -hmm. they there's a swagger and a swing and a rock that you're never going to get with a click track. Right. And and so you're right. There's a message there for all of us who are creating anything whether you're cooking dinner tonight or designing your garden, you know, whatever you're creating, um, you're cooperating with, with things around you. And the, again, that mysterious unquantifiable humanness that has to be a part of, of our work. And it is unavoidably a part of our work unless we wring it all out with AI and, <laughs> and iTunes, I, excuse me. And, and, you know, uh, vocal correction software and, and making everything, line up on the beat um that's that's not what we really need yeah yeah we need the imperfections 
the perfect it's perfect in its imperfections you know yeah yeah well peter i uh thank you again for your time thank you for this contribution that you've made uh the book the the the, the youtube you put out there all the information you make that that is approachable that is just for us to to find and to chew on uh, really excited to to see what this next chapter is for you and whatever it takes you in the imperfectness of the perfections that it is um we're here to support you in any way we can, man. So thank you for what thank you do. You, Adam, and, and, you know, you're, you're a, you're a great resource and a, and a, and a beacon and a lighthouse to many journey. of The modern soul is, is one of those quality podcasts that, you know, we all wish had a bigger audience, but it finds the right people and, and yeah. you're, you're changing things with the work that you're doing. I'm really excited to be back on the, back on the show with you. Thank you so much, sir. Oh, well, thank you, Peter. We'll uh, look forward to having you back again, man. Thank you so much for spending time with Peter and I. Uh, Please check out the show notes for links to get the book and also the workbook, uh, ways to support Peter or support the show. Obeisance and love. We'll see you next time.